Welcome to the show, everyone. This is Wellness Talk, and I am George Batista, your host, and as always, your wellness advocate. Today, we have a very, very special show for you. I'm very excited. We're going to be talking, we're going to be diving into uh, different things like different conditions such as Lyme disease and and fibromyalgia and conditions such as that with Dr. Bill Rawls. And uh, he's one of the foremost experts on these subjects. And he just has a wealth of knowledge, wealth of information. And I think, we're, you know, we're going to be talking about those. We're going to be talking about nutrition and just, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy the program today. And thank you guys for, as always, for supporting the show. So as a fourth generation physician, Bill Rawls has dedicated his life to medicine. But when he faced when he was faced with a personal health crisis in his late 40s with Lyme disease, everything changed. In his quest to regain his health, Dr. Rawls was confronted with the limitations of conventional medicine and knew he had to find his own path to restore wellness. For the past 15 years, he has extensively studied the science behind herbal therapies and new sustainable approaches for protecting health. And Dr. Rawls is also a leading expert in integrative health and also the medical director of Vital Plan, a holistic health and herbal supplement company. He's also the best-selling author of Unlocking Lyme, and his most recent book is titled The Cellular Wellness Solution, Tap Into Your Full Health Potential with the Science-Backed Power of Herbs. And I am absolutely honored to have him on this program. Thank you very much for being on the program, Dr. Rawls. Well, George, it's it's my pleasure also. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation, I know. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Got some great questions for you. So, um, I I have followed your work for for a few years now, and uh, you've you've you know you've got a great website. You've got some great videos, YouTube videos that you know I feel that are very very helpful for the average person to understand things like Lyme disease and and fibromyalgia and just cellular health and health in general. So, you know, really, really great stuff. So, but for those who are not familiar with your work, um, take us back a little bit. Uh, I, I want to talk about your journey. Obviously you're, you're, you're an MD, you're conventionally trained MD, but I know that once you, you were actually diagnosed with Lyme, your journey through that kind of changed your perspective on things and health in general. So kind of just, uh, take us through that journey. Yeah, it's, um, it has been an interesting journey to say the least. And, you know, it's, uh, I've been a physician for about 30 years. I finished medical school and went into the practice of obstetrics and gynecology because it really dealt with the wellness side of medicine, bringing life into the world, delivering babies. Um, and, and most of the patients were healthy. Uh, the interventions, people got well. Um, it was a lot of fun. But the practice at that point in time came with rigorous night call every second to third night and every second to third weekend. And I did that for 20 years. And I was one of those people that if someone was in my care, I had somebody in labor or the hospital, I just didn't sleep that night. So I was basically severely sleep deprived for 20 years. And, you know, the night's off call, that was my time. And I still cut sleep then too, you know? So I was averaging six hours, seven hours a night on the nights that I wasn't on call. Right. And it catches up with you. 
And so late forties, my health crashed. Um, my entire body was falling apart, heart, brain, joints, everything. Um, and like a lot of people, I identified with fibromyalgia and, you know, and the medical system really had nothing to offer. You know, we checked my thyroid, ended up having a heart cardiac cath and just all these things and nobody could really help me. And like so many people, it was like, wow, if I can just get a diagnosis of Lyme disease, then I might be treated. I might have something that's treatable. Um, And I pushed until I found that and took antibiotics and got worse instead of better. And, you know, tried multiple rounds of antibiotics and was in a place that um, I really didn't have the option of leaving the small town where I live to pursue therapy. And I was pretty desperate and and read a book about the possibility that herbs might be helpful. Uh, Desperate, but, you know, didn't have high expectations. I really, I thoroughly embraced this herbal protocol and within several months, you know, I was back to 60, 70% capacity. Um, and the total recovery, three to five years, you know, your body, it right. just takes a long time to heal. Right. But during that time, just had this remarkable experience with herbs. And since then, for the past decade, have spent really understanding what this thing called chronic Lyme is and how herbs had really made a difference in our, my health. Mm-hmm. And where I went from that is a totally different understanding of chronic illness as we know it and how we should be approaching it. Right. So it's really taken me to a different place in my career entirely. Wow. And the fact of the matter is, I probably did pick up the micro tick-borne microbes, but I picked them up as a child Mm -hmm. and they were dormant in my tissues for years. And that is the secret to understanding this thing. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting first, you know, just looking at your background and your, your background's a little similar to mine, even though obviously you're the, you're the physician, but you know, I and those people that listen to my show kind of, you know, know this about me is that, again, I, I had a lot of health issues and I had to I had to kind of deal with it on my own and figure these things out on my own, because, again, conventional medicine didn't have the answers that I needed. Correct. And that, you know, it's 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 one of those things where, you know, once I started to kind of and, and part of it was for me was taking responsibility for my health as well and saying, OK, I got to change my diet. I got to do all these things. I got to make sure I exercise and all that. But again, these are things that, you know, you, you, you just kind of, you, you had, you just figured them out. You know, I didn't have a doctor telling me, Hey, go change your diet. Cause they just wanted to give me a pill or whatever the case may right. be. So, but we, you know, we kind of get to the same, the same conclusion, just, you know, taking different sure. paths, but it, unfortunately, you know, you know, the, the medical system in that way, it's just so one-sided because they don't look at herbs. They don't look at supplements. They don't look at things right. like that. Right. Yeah. You know, it, interestingly, I have had issues with what we're doing with the medical system, but I've kind of come around to thinking 
medical system isn't necessarily broken. Now it could be administered better as far as insurance and everything else. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy and, and mess in the whole thing, right. but the actual system is fine. We're yeah. asking the system to do something it wasn't designed to do. Exactly. And what it's designed to do is acute intervention. Yeah. And you look at the thing, you know, back, back when my, grandfather and great-grandfather were practicing medicine, most illness was acute mm -hmm. and most interventions were, uh, were directed toward acute. So we did really well with bad infections, with vaccines and antibiotics and acute interventions for all kinds of different things. And we still do an exceptionally good job with that. If you have a heart attack or break your leg, you're, you're going to get great care for that. Sure. But what we don't do is understand that chronic illness has to be treated differently. So right. we apply acute intervention to treating chronic illness, and it just doesn't work. Right. And so I, I happened upon a study um, that was looking at how we should be addressing chronic illness when I was when I was researching my book, and came upon this statement that their conclusion was that 90% of recovery from any chronic illness is self-care, yeah, which means <laughs> it's only about 10% medical care. And what the medical care is really important for is stabilizing your condition and stabilizing right. symptoms. But right. beyond that, what we're doing outside of the medical system is more important. So what you're doing, what, all the health advocates in the country are doing, helping people make better choices and guiding them is exceedingly important in us getting control of now this really bad problem of chronic illness, which affects the 60% of the population now. That's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that's the thing. Yeah. It's, and again, my, you know, one of the titles that I use a lot in my show is take control of your health. You know, you, you, yep. and you have more control over your health than you think you do. And it, it's so important to do that. Um, so let, let's dive a little bit into, um, what you dealt with as far as Lyme. Now, you obviously you had these symptoms, uh, you know, and you, you know, you, you, you know, you realized it. What are, what are some of the symptoms that you were dealing with and what are the, some of the common symptoms that people should look out for if they think that they may have a tick-borne illness? Yeah. Well, it's the same thing you would look out for, for any chronic illness. So where we're going to come to is that fundamentally all chronic illnesses are pretty similar. Um, yeah. So when we look at chronic illness, you know, one thing that I've done in the book that I think really sets a, this stage very differently in our understanding is taking it down to the cellular level. Exactly. So, our bodies are made of cells. We have trillions of cells. Everything that happens inside your body is a function of cells, you know? So it's like our heart we think of as being a unit, but what it is, is really a, a composite of billions of cells all working right. together. Right. So each of those cells is an individual unit. So when you look at that, 
you know, the needs of the cell to stay healthy are very important. And so when you look at symptoms, what a symptom is, this is really important. What a symptom is, is when cells in the body are stressed. So if you block a coronary artery, cells in your heart muscle don't get oxygen and they start to be stressed to the point that they die. Right. When cells are stressed, two things happen. One, they release substances acutely that activate nerves that tell the brain something's wrong. We feel it as pain. We get chest pain. Right. The second thing that happens, though, is if cells are compromised or stressed, they can't do their job. So you start mm -hmm. losing that function. So any symptom can be traced to the cells in the body that have been affected. Right. So, you know, in a many acute illnesses, like you break your leg or have an accident or, or block off a coronary artery, the cells being affected are very isolated. But when you look at a process like fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme disease, multiple sclerosis, name any chronic illness, you know, it's fine. Um, you're going to find that cells throughout the body are being stressed. So symptoms that I had, I had some really bad heart issues, ended mm -hmm. up with a cardiac cath. My heart was beat, skipping beats every second to third beat, and I had chronic chest pain. My, heart, my vessels were clear, but my cells were still stressed. Right. And it's because we know that, you know, the microbes can invade heart muscle, but more importantly, they invade heart cells and the body reacts by making antibodies. So they've defined that part of Lyme carditis is that autoimmune reaction to the heart muscle. So that was what was going on with me. I didn't understand that until many years later. And my doctors very definitely didn't understand and really didn't have anything to offer but drugs. Right. But that wasn't it. I had joint symptoms. So... Uh -huh. I have things going on in my joints. My cells are being stressed. My cartilage was breaking down. I had chronic inflammation. I had neurological symptoms, brain fog, uh, burning feet, all these weird sensations throughout my body. I had dizziness. I had severe fatigue. So what does severe fatigue tell you? Severe fatigue tells you that every cell in your body is being stressed. Right. So when cells are stressed, they can't do their job. You get weak. Um, you don't have energy. Um, mitochondrial functions are compromised. So when you take it down to a cellular level, you start thinking differently. Absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the chapters in your book, uh, which I really liked, was uh, Understanding Symptoms and uh, on the cellular level. And it's funny because... Even symptoms, like I, I talk about it on the show a lot. I say, you know, things like blood pressure, things like blood sugar, things like uh, high cholesterol, really, I know they're kind of categorized as diseases, let's say, for, you know, mainstream medical and that type of thing. But really, at the end of the day, they are symptoms. Right. They are your body's way of telling you that there's something going on. Like you're saying, there's a stressor, there's there's an imbalance or your body's not in homeostasis, which is what it's trying to always get to. And that's one of the things that people like, you know, the average person doesn't understand because obviously they're always told, okay, well, you have high blood pressure. That's the disease. But right. again, it's, you know, it's about looking further into that. Why is the blood pressure high? Right. right. 
Exactly. And, you know, in, in any of these conditions, what I found is I could explain it on the cellular level. You know, mm -hmm. I could, I could, you know, hypertension, any kind of, of, of condition, I could start answering that question. Well, what's going on at that cellular level? Right. What, what's happening that cellular stress is, is affecting that process? Right. And, you know, so and part of that is that all the cells in the body have to communicate. You know, we have to function as a unit. So the brain is constantly monitoring what's going on in the inside and the outside and using hormones and neurotransmitters to connect all those cellular functions. So when we get stressed, you know, that that constant fight or flight reaction uh, affects all the cells in our body and how they work, but it also it affects hormone messengers in the body. So things start getting out of balance. Absolutely. So yeah, tracing things down to that cellular level really changes the playing field in how you're thinking about any kind of illness and also what to do about it. Definitely. Yeah. And kind of my story with Lyme, just so you know, is, um, I, uh, I, first of all, I moved upstate to upstate New York. I used to live in the city, so I'm in upstate New York now. Where I live is a very wooded area. So, you know, obviously the prevalence for, for you know, ticks and deer ticks and those types of things is high out here. And I do remember, you know, uh, on a couple of occasions, you know, I found a tick. Uh, my wife helped me take it out, <laughs> take it off and all that. But what first thing is I never, I never saw what they categorize as the bullseye rash. Right, right. Where the people normally uh, associate with Lyme. So, I never saw that. So, I didn't think of anything of it. But there was two symptoms, though, that I noticed later, uh, after, and this was after a while, that um, that started to concern me. One is I started to get uh, palpitations. So, I started to get some heart flutter here and there, and I was mm -hmm. like, okay, that's yep. weird, right? And then the second thing was, I I started to lose concentration. Yep. So I started to get a little bit of brain fog. I realized I wasn't as fast as I was before. I was forgetting certain words and things like that. So I was like, okay, there's something going on. So with the palpitations and that going on, I actually went to cardiologist. They did a whole cardiac workup and heart was fine. Everything yep. was fine. And, you know, they did yep. all the tests, nothing wrong. Okay. So, so then, but I also go to a naturopath. So I ended up, uh, I went to the naturopath. She did a whole, I mean, comprehensive blood panel. Okay. And she, this, and she told me, well, you're positive for Lyme. And she goes, and that probably explains, you know, a lot of these symptoms that you're dealing with. And I was sure. like, ah, light bulb moment goes off, you know? And, you know, the first thing she thought about was like, okay, well, you know, we could, give you a course of antibiotics, but she didn't want to go down that path because we all know what antibiotics can do to the gut floor and that type of thing. And I really didn't want to go that way either. So we went on more of a supplement protocol, some herbs and things like that. And actually, as time went along, my symptoms started to get better. And, uh, you know, it, it really, really helped me out uh, as far as that goes. So it was, it was really good. So um, so yeah, that, that was kind of my story, but again, I wouldn't have, I would never, cause even the, the, the cardiologist or nobody else even thought about Lyme, you know, right. they never associated my, 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 uh, symptoms with Lyme except for the naturopath, because I, you know, so, um, it, it's just, it was just very, very interesting, but yeah, there's some, some, some things that I, that I, you know, you hear about Lyme, um, and there's some, 
some things that, you know, people say one thing, some people say other things. So I, I wanted to see what your, what your thoughts on this are. Um, there's two questions I have for you on this. Number one, um, how long does a tick have to be on you to actually spread, you know, actually uh, get the bacteria, number one? And then the second question is, um, when it comes to antibiotics, is there a time from when you're actually infected to a time where antibiotics are no longer work? Or is there a time frame in there? Or how does that work? Yeah, it's... Um... It's even more complicated than you think, right? Mm -hmm. So sure. um, you've got upwards of 40,000 different bacteria that live in your body, right? right? So this idea that ticks carry one bacteria that can make us sick, really? Mm -hmm. So yeah, They've evaluated some tick species and found that they carry over 237 different families of bacteria. Okay. Wow. Unbelievable. So Borrelia is one of many. Mm -hmm. And so what we know of is quite frankly, just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. And our understanding of Lyme disease is still really uh, uh, limited, I think, mm -hmm. um, of what we're calling Lyme disease. And, you know, so different microbes pass faster than others, um, but it really doesn't take very long. You know, it, it, it's, it's probably more like hours and not like a 24-hour period. Okay. Um, but there may be things that pass really fast. Sure. As soon as, you know, the tick starts uh, pumping saliva and exchanging blood. So the tick actually has to take blood into its abdomen and then wash it back out. And some of the bacteria carried with that. Of course, the longer the tick is on, the more apt you are to get a microbe load. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it it's highly variable. And I, I think what's important to, to recognize is that you know, ticks have the potential of carrying um, many different bacteria. Um, so this idea that some ticks have Lyme disease, i.e. Borrelia bacteria, is true, and then some don't, yeah, but mm -hmm. they all carry bacteria. And uh, people can get other things. I mean, even, you know, when um, Bergdorf, Bergdorfer, the mm -hmm. guy who researched the Lyme disease, went back later and looked at the specimens, you know, he found other bacteria. He found a rickettsia species that was common in New England also. Um, and he was pondering, well, you know, we feel, he felt pretty confident that Borrelia was the cause of the bullseye rash, but he wasn't so sure about the illness, that it could have been more the rickettsia or possibly even something else. So even our definition of what Lyme disease, acute Lyme disease is, is questionable. But mm -hmm. here's the deal. 95% of the people that I talk to that have identified as chronic Lyme disease, in other words, they have all these crazy symptoms and they have a positive test for Borrelia and usually other co-infections too, do not remember a specific tick bite or becoming ill around the tick bite. All right. So what that tells you is this is not a highly virulent bacteria. 
Mm-hmm. So, so virulence is the ability of a, of a microbe, virus, bacteria, whatever, to cause acute illness. Mm-hmm. So the potential for this bacteria to cause acute illness is low. Right. And that is because ticks have been biting humans since there have been humans. And so we do have immunity to most things that ticks carry. So as soon as those bacteria enter your system, the immune system is on it and mopping these things up. And during that time, so the several weeks after a tick bite, if you happen to be symptomatic, which is, I think, actual acute symptomatic Lyme disease, probably isn't very common. I think Mm. an awful lot of people get bitten and never know it. True. So your immune system is mopping this thing up and and it becomes a race. So the immune system is trying to eradicate this bacteria or all the bacteria, different types of bacteria that come from this tick. And the bacteria are trying to get to your tissues. And they have some interesting and sophisticated ways of doing that. One of them is what's called a Trojan horse mechanism. Mm -hmm. The white blood cell gobbles up that bacteria and the bacteria is able to wall itself off and stay alive inside the white blood cell And the white blood cell becomes a transport vehicle that carries it into all of your tissues, including your brain. Anywhere the blood goes, it it takes it. But most of them get mopped out, mopped up. You you get rid of them. A few make it to your tissues. And, you know, we know that Borrelia can bore into cartilage, but Borrelia can also enter into cells. So all tick-borne microbes have the capacity to live inside our cells. It's called intracellular microbes, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's one of the keys of why antibiotics are are so resistant. So by the time they're well disseminated and embedded deeply in your tissues, antibiotics aren't going to do a whole lot. In that short period of time during transit, antibiotics can knock down their numbers but probably aren't going to eradicate them all because there's Mm -hmm. plenty of evidence that, you know, at least 20% of people that get antibiotics, and I think it's actually much higher, often become symptomatic later. So there's very good evidence that the antibiotics do not wipe them out. Wow. These things get to your tissues and they bore inside cells. And when they get inside cells, they take on a different existence. They lose their outer cellular coat And it almost becomes like a virus that it can kind of take over the machinery of our cells. But our cells aren't defenseless. Mm -hmm. Our cells can expel or destroy microbes. And this is really an interesting part of our defense mechanisms. You know, we have barriers like the skin to keep microbes out. We have the immune system for the ones that get through but our cells actually have defense mechanisms. So if your cells are healthy, they can expel the microbes, but that doesn't always happen. And this is something that's really cutting edge and very, very interesting. So there are three possibilities when a bacteria enters a cell. It can either be destroyed by the cell, it can, if the cell is weak, if the cell has been stressed, bad food, chronic stress, not sleeping, like in my case, (laughs) and your cells are stressed, then the 
then the microbe gets the upper hand and it starts taking over the machinery and basically uses the cell as a food source to make more bacteria. But then there's a third option. And it's, and it's a survival technique that a lot of bacteria and viruses and protozoa and yeast use. And that is to become dormant inside of our cells. And so interestingly, I think I'd been carrying these bacteria since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until all this stress caught up to me that these bacteria started reactivating throughout my body, in my brain, in my heart, in my joints, in my muscles, everywhere, everywhere. And when that started happening, it started stressing my cells, generating inflammation. And the, and, and, and so what the bacteria are trying to do is create an environment to shift the environment that phase, say favors cellular health to one that favors growth of microbes. So when the cells are breaking down and in the bloodstream, red blood cells being broken down, iron is released. That's a nutrient that a lot of bacteria like, like uh, Bartonella need mm-hmm. to survive. So we know that Babesia, Bartonella, but so many others invade red blood cells, break down those red blood cells and, and release the iron and invade our cells. So we, we start, so our body becomes an environment that favors microbe growth and cells start breaking down and we start getting symptoms everywhere. But guess what? That's not just chronic Lyme disease. We pick up a lot of microbes through our life and everybody picks up different microbes. So we're starting to see connections. And this is, we're, we're really, scientists are really in the early stages of this but we're starting to see connections between this model of what we're calling the dormant blood and tissue microbiome and every single chronic illness. We have different chronic illnesses because we all pick up different microbes and different microbes have preference for different cells in the body. So that's where I am right now in my journey, looking at chronic Lyme disease and seeing it. It's really a model to think about all other chronic illnesses. It's really fascinating. Amazing. Amazing. And it's, I guess it's similar to the virus theory as well. Like for, you know, Epstein-Barr virus, herpes viruses, those types of things that they say that lie dormant, but when the body is stressed, when you're dealing with you know, physical, chemical, emotional stress, or whatever it is, that's when they kind of take hold and come out and start to hijack the system. Yeah. When you start tallying up the ones we know about, you're getting up in the hundreds of possibilities. And it's not just viruses. There are lots of viruses. There are lots of bacteria. There's chlamydia, mm-hmm. mycoplasma, right. urea plasma, protozoa like toxoplasma, babesia, and, and the list just goes on and on. And I think that's just scratching the surface. But we're also finding that during our lifetime, pathogens do cross over from the gut and from mm-hmm. the skin and from our sinuses. And they become embedded in our tissues and our cells. So when I look at this thing, you know, when we stress our cells, our cells, our cells, 
when we eat bad food, when we stay up too late and stay chronically stressed and push that stress button and are exposed to toxins and mold and don't get exercise and all of these things happen, it creates it into this environment that allows this reactivation. And when you start thinking about chronic illness from the point of view of microbes erupting inside cells and cellular stress, it really starts to make everything, everything starts to make sense. Wow. And it also kind of piggybacking on that as well. Um, the theory, uh, well, I mean, and I, you address it in your book, but genetics, okay. Cause the, obviously the, the prevailing theory in the mainstream medical is, oh, well, it's in your genes, uh, you know, whatever the illness is, whatever the, the, the issue is. And then, We've now we've come to a more uh, understanding, and again, they're still doing more research on it. But they now are understanding that actually, your environment affects the genes more than you know. Your your environment actually can activate or inactivate the genes Correct. depending on your lifestyle, right? Right. Yeah. You know, it's. Um, I made an. You know, that when I was just pondering that particular question, uh, we we call that epigenetics, and. Right. I read National Geographic about a river in Peru that it runs about 150 to 200 degrees, which is enough to scald anyone. Right. And they found that bacteria actually live in this river. So the bacteria didn't just jump in there and survive. They adapted to that con condition by altering the genes, you know, repetitive genetic mutations over thousands and thousands of generations. Right. to adapt to that. So our genes adapt our cells to the environment that it is that is is natural for us. So yeah, our our genes, our cells, so our genes basically run our cells. Mm -hmm. And our cells are so the genes our, our genes have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. And most of that has been exposed to very specific conditions on the face of the earth. So for hundreds of thousands of years, humans ate a forage food diet. For hundreds of thousands of years, people uh, you know, basically foraged all day and went to sleep at night. They didn't have schedules. They didn't have clocks. They, you know, the only stress is when uh, a tiger popped up and they ran from it. But otherwise, life was probably pretty mundane. Um, yeah there weren't environmental toxins like we have now. So, you know, volcanoes and that sort of thing may have erupted and released some components of the inner earth, heavy metals and things like that, but it was pretty limited. But right. now we've been burning coal, which has mercury and cadmium and heavy metals embedded in it for 3000 years and really terrifically over the past hundred years. And we do a lot with petroleum that these are, abnormal, unnatural organic chemicals. And, you know, we're, we're just not programmed for this stuff. Right. None mm -hmm. of it. And, um, yeah, so our cells stay stressed all the time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, to me, it's kind of like the perfect storm. Really think about it. If, you know, as time gone along between the, between all those things and, and then the soils being depleted of nutrients and then the bad food that people are eating and, all these things that have come together to, you know, now we have all these diseases or these conditions now. And, uh, you know, which is 
crazy. And then people are asking, well, I don't understand why, you know, so many people are being afflicted with this. Well, you can kind of trace it back if you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's it. It's, um, you know, I wrote in the book, I mean, all these things, uh, this concept of cellular wellness came to me over like a 10 year period. It didn't just Mm -hmm. pop in my head, but it's so simple now that I'm there. So, you know, we all talk about healing and and we have this nebulous idea that things just fix themselves inside our body. But specifically what healing is, is the ability of cells to recover from being stressed. You know, when your cells are always trying to repair internal damage and they have the ability to regenerate new cells. Um, so when we're injured acutely, transiently, like we uh, step wrong and twist our ankle or something like that, the body is immediately cleaning up dead cells, uh, cells that aren't uh, damaged mortally, repair themselves, and we regenerate new cells. And that's const- going constantly going on. And that repair process, so healing is the ability of cells to recover from stress. So very specifically, what chronic illness is, is when the stresses are ongoing and cells do not have the opportunity to recover. And that usually is a combination of factors of cells not getting the right nutrients, cells being polluted with toxins, cells not getting downtime from, from sleep or just being pushed by stress not getting adequate blood flow from exercise, and then that microbe factor thrown mm. in. And, you know, so again, we have a lot of different illnesses because people pick up different microbes, we're exposed to different stress factors, and our genetics is a little bit different. You know, what what one person can tolerate genetically, another person may not be able to. Exactly. But it's a very different way of looking at things because the obvious solution to healing, to promoting healing is reduce the stress factors. Yeah. And, and that is something that drugs really don't have a capacity to do. Right. Medical therapies can stabilize illness. Medical and surgical therapies can stabilize illness, but they have very little capacity to promote actual cellular healing. That part is up to us. I completely agree with that. And, and on that note, I want to talk a little bit about herbs because you are, you are in your book, you, I mean, you really lay it out beautifully, uh, each herb and, and what it does and, and, and these types of things. So, um, what are the, some of the, the herbs, uh, that are very, very effective against chronic disease or Lyme disease or anything as well? And why are herbs so effective? All right. We'll start with a why first. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's a really different way of thinking about herbs that I think is really important. You know, we tend to think about herbs as just, well, we take herbs to get rid of symptoms like we would do drugs. And there are herbs, you know, what we define as herbs has a pretty broad span and there are herbs that do have drug-like properties. But most of the herbs that I'm talking about don't really have strong drug-like properties. Um, And when we talk about them in relation to herbs or relation to drugs, it's like apples and oranges. So what drugs are doing is artificially blocking symptoms or processes by affecting specific messaging pathways in the body. 
basically altering cellular functions to try to suppress a symptom or whatever, but it's not doing anything for cellular stress. So what the herbs are doing very, very specifically is reducing cellular stress by protecting cells and balancing stress hormones in the body, which sets the stage for cells to actually heal. It gives the cells what they need. So sure, we should be eating a good diet, reducing our stress, everything else. Those are important, but the cells are giving us, a, the, the herbs are giving us a boost that even our efforts can't duplicate. So these things are happening because basically, you know, plants are multicellular organisms just like we are made of cells. So plants have this cellular defense and regulatory system that's made of complex chemicals that we call phytochemicals. Mm -hmm. It's not random chemicals. It's a system. So these things are designed to protect the plant cells from free radicals, radiation, toxic substances, and especially every variety of microbes. But it's not one substance like an antibiotic. It's a spectrum of hundreds of things that affect a lot of different microbes different ways. So when we take an herb, it's like we're taking in that plant's defense and regulatory systems and giving ourselves a boost in protection, which helps us start that healing process. Right. Different herbs have slightly different properties depending on the environment that the plant, the natural environment of the plant and the stress factors that it, that it deals with. So some herbs are really good antimicrobials. Some herbs are better for uh, protecting liver cells. Some herbs are better for reducing radiation and protecting us against physical stress factors. So when you combine different herbs in a blend, you really get this wonderful uh, uh, spectrum of benefit that can affect every cell in your body. And that's basically how they're working. Um, so when you look at chronic illness as chronic stress um, with the factors of you know, I separated out into five factors um, that, you know, you've got nutrition stress. People eat way too much carbohydrate right. that raises their insulin levels that causes a cascade of hormone problems. Um, hundreds of herbs have documented, been documented that have anti-diabetic properties. So it's not just one or two, it's lots of them. Um, so a lot of our everyday herbs, so ones that I take every day, uh, rhodiola, which is a really nice adaptogen, um, has some anti-diabetic properties. Another one from India called Gotu Cola, anti-diabetic properties. But all of these things are protecting our cells. Um, so, but they, but some herbs are really good antimicrobials too. Mm -hmm. So the ones that I took for Lyme disease, um, you know, we we know that they have activity against Borrelia. But not just that, they have activity against Babesia, Bartonella, and all of these other bacteria too. But mm -hmm. even the herbs that we define as antimicrobials, um, so some on my list include Japanese knotweed, andrographis, cat's claw, garlic. Um, those are really nice antimicrobial herbs. These are one of many. Fortunately, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Right. But, um, but you know, I get everybody started off with just a basic selection in the book um, to get them going. But, you know, if you are recovering from chronic illness and you think about that reactivation of microbes, 
Um, the, the herbs are doing a lot of things. So they are suppressing growth of microbes that have been reactivated, viruses, bacteria, protozoa, yeast, all of it. But they're also uh, protecting cells, uh, enhancing blood flow, and doing things to cultivate that environment that helps cells recover from stress. Mm-hmm. So they can also affect immune system functions and our hormone systems. So herbs like rhodiola, the adaptogens, um, they help balance stress hormones. Um, herbs like turmeric, uh, which you find yeah. in curries in India, is a wonderful anti-inflammatory. Reishi and cordyceps mushrooms. So our mushrooms kind of, you know, we talk about plants, but our mushrooms kind of slide into what we define as herbs too. Um, they have wonderful immune modulating properties. And what I mean by that is they tone down overactive parts of the immune system and Mm -hmm. boost underactive parts. Mm -hmm. So with the herbs, we're doing a whole lot of things. But one of the most fascinating things that I found with these herbs that we call antimicrobial herbs is they are selective. So when you take herbs, it doesn't disrupt normal flora in the gut. They actually suppress pathogens. And that makes sense because plants have to take care of their normal flora too. Sure. So, so when we take herbs, it actually balances our gut and skin microbiome. So you can take them. And I literally took those herbs, those really potent herbs for five years. And I had been taking a standard selection of herbs for well over a decade now. Wow. Um, 65, I've been symptom free for 10 years and life is good. Absolutely. Fantastic. I, yeah. You know, one of the, one of the ones that you talked about in your book was uh, Hawthorne. Yeah. And uh, Hawthorne is something that I've used for a long time. I actually use uh, Hawthorne and uh, curcumin as well. But Hawthorne was was very good, especially, again, talking about heart flutter and those types of things, because it's yeah. it, it really works well for that. And I've I've you know, I love it. I've, I've used it for a long time. And a lot of people don't, you know, realize that, you know, mo- most of these herbs are thousands of years old and people have used them for thousands of years. I mean, this is before there was pharmaceuticals, people were using herbs, people were using plants to heal, you know? So it's that it's kind of getting back to the basics of nature, which, you know, which I talk about on this show all the time. Yeah. You know, we've had this thing that's always been with us and we kind of put it on our, on the shelf with pharmaceuticals. And I would say there's still a place for every drug made, every surgical procedure. Right. But wow, boy, are we missing something by not using the herbs? No, absolutely. And you know, I remember one doctor used to say, you know, thank God for Novocaine, right. When you need it, you know, and those types of things, you know, because obviously again, they have their place, you know? Uh, So yeah, definitely. Um, uh, One thing I also wanted to ask you about was uh, a little bit about fibromyalgia. Uh, I know, you know, people in my own family who who have been diagnosed with, with fibro and, you know, there's not really like a a test necessarily for it, right? It's more of just like a question and answer from what I understand. It's, you know, certain trigger points or certain pain for a certain amount of time, those types of things. But again, I'm not a physician, but you know, talk a little bit about that, you know, as far as uh, just dealing with it and, uh, you know, your experiences with that. Yeah, it, it's, um, 
Well, first of all, if you overlap symptoms of chronic Lyme disease and fibromyalgia, they match to a T. And for years, I said the only real difference between someone with fibromyalgia and someone with chronic Lyme is the person with chronic Lyme has figured out somehow to get a positive test for a bacteria. And that's (laughs) about it. Um, But going beyond that a little bit, I've really gotten away from that concept of diagnosis. And I think Mm -hmm. there there is value in in the concept of diagnosis in our conventional medical system, but it can also be very dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And when you start describing illness in, in the terms that I have, it makes less sense. You know, I mean, it seems like they're coming up with a new diagnosis almost every week because what you find is all the diagnoses run together and there's a lot of people that just don't fit. So when you look at that idea of fibromyalgia, basically when somebody gets that label, it is that their physician can't find anything else to give them and they need a code to get paid. So they give them a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. And what I found is, that it's different in every person. And if you look at the formal criteria for someone being dosed by, by diagnosed as fibromyalgia, when they I, I saw a study that when they really looked at it, 70% of people that are defined and diagnosed as fibromyalgia do not meet the formal criteria. 70%. So that just shows how messy this concept of diagnosis is. But then when you come around to the microbe thing, you know, we're going, okay, we've got this bacteria called Borrelia and that's what causes Lyme disease. And and so, you know, if we can pair the microbe to the, to, to the illness, yeah, then that's how we think. And that works for some acute, highly virulent microbes like smallpox, Ebola, and other kinds of things. But when you start looking at more chronic illnesses, it's never just a microbe. And as you well know, everybody that is then defined as chronic Lyme disease, which the conventional medical system doesn't even recognize as a diagnosis. Yeah. Everybody is diagnosed with not just Borrelia, but often several species of Borrelia and Bartonella and Rickettsia and Mycoplasma and Chlamydia and things that definitely do not come from ticks. So that gives this, that supports this evidence of this reactivation. So for years, they've been looking for the bacteria or the virus or, you know, the whatever that causes fibromyalgia or causes chronic fatigue. You know, it's like chronic fatigue syndrome for a long time was Epstein-Barr syndrome. Mm-hmm. But then they found that a good number of people with it, well, they didn't really test for, they didn't have reactivated Epstein-Barr, so it must not be that. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact of the matter is that everybody with chronic, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, everybody with fibromyalgia, everybody with chronic Lyme is a little bit different. Each of us has slightly different characteristics and it's because we pick up different microbes and it's not just one microbe. It's many things. It's everything that you've had and picked up in your lifetime that's dormant in your tissues starts becoming reactivated. So it's hard, but 
You know, I, there, I'm just seeing so many connections. You know, we found Borrelia and breast cancer, dementia, and just about every illness. But we found chlamydia and mycoplasma and people with Lyme and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and Epstein-Barr. And lately, I found a study that people who were infected with COVID, they found that a lot of the symptomatology in many people was not coming from the COVID. It was coming from reactivated Epstein-Barr and other viruses. And these are just the things we're checking for. And I'm telling you is we're just scratching the surface. That is unbelievable. That is amazing. Well, you know, first of all, that's this fascinating information. I love hearing stuff like that because obviously you're on the, the on the cutting edge of this and the forefront and and checking this stuff out, which is which is fantastic. And and also it shows why when you talk about um how everybody reacts differently, this is why uh you know, nutrition and health and wellness has to be individualized. You know, even when I've worked with people, I can't give the same two people the same protocol because they're, you know, whether it's just, you know, how to eat or whether it's just what supplements to take or herbs or whatever, because everybody is different. Everybody, body chemistry is different. Everybody comes to the table with a different history, you know, and this is again where mainstream loses it because they have this one size fits all type of approach whereas nutritionists and 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 and, you know and and physicians like yourself go deeper and treat everybody individually and that it it just makes more sense yeah yeah it's true i mean you know by the time i was it's like i was i had food sensitivities to 75 percent of the foods that i ate and you know so there you know i had a lot of dietary limitations and but everybody's a little bit different Right. Um, the herbs are valuable because you get such a wide spectrum of coverage, especially when you combine multiple herbs. But I tell everybody, you know, this is a great place to start, but it's not uncommon. And I had to in my recovery, you know, I had to use different kinds of herbs and rotate things in and out of my mm-hmm. protocol. So, you know, it, it it's kind of I, I look at um, d- different groups of people. And I'm trying to appeal not only to people with chronic illness like Lyme and fibromyalgia and things like that, but also people that are just starting to think about health. They're just maybe starting to get some symptoms, um, but they don't really have a diagnosis. You know, they're not seeing a healthcare provider. And it's kind of like, wow, if we could just get those people, get them on a basic regimen of herbs, get them doing just basic changes in their diet and how they're going about life, wow, we could save them so much misery down the road. And, and you know, it, so a, a lot of my effort now is really focused on that group of people to say, hey, wake up. There's something really good here that you can be doing and it's really easy and it could save you so much grief down the road. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think after the last couple of years that we've gone through, I think there's going to be more people doing that because I think, you know, just people were so affected and and it showed you how, how really unhealthy society really was 
you know, dealing with, you know, viruses and even just, it could be just the flu, you know, it doesn't have to be COVID, it could be whatever, but it really does show you how uh, unhealthy we, we really are as a society. And, you know, your message is great. Let's, you know, let's get back on track and let's get ourselves healthy. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's it. The, the bacteria, the viruses, all these things, they've always been there. I mean, exactly. humans, you know, we talk about, oh, there's more ticks and more tick bites. People used to live outdoors. They ate That's off right. the ground. They were getting bitten by ticks every single day of their lives. Absolutely. And, you know, so these bacteria have been around a long time. Um, microbes are part of our existence. We're, yeah. We've always been exposed to microbes. And fortunately, most of the things that we're exposed to during our lifetimes are pretty low grade. Mm-hmm. You know, the chances of one of us getting a, a COVID or, I mean, a, um, Ebola uh, are pretty small. Right. You know, COVID was a threat, but, you know, at, I, I really found just mm-hmm. something that's held true. The more virulent, the more threatening something is, um, the easier it is to control because it's more visible. So right. the deal with COVID was it wasn't threatening enough. It was mm-hmm. highly contagious, but a lot of people, half of the people in the very beginning didn't get sick and they were carrying it. Mm-hmm. So they were spreading it all over everywhere. Right. And they were spreading it in a population that by definition, 60% are sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it just found fertile ground. So if we were dealing with healthy populations, we wouldn't be talking about COVID as an issue. You're absolutely right. I, I cannot agree more with that. I'm going to show here a picture of your book. This is, again, the latest book, The Cellular Wellness Solution. Tap into your full health potential with the science-backed power of herbs. Fantastic book. Make sure you, can, you, uh, you know, the folks listening, make sure you check that out. They can also go to your website, rawlsmd.com, to get information from me. And I recommend, by the way, also your, your YouTube channel which answers a lot of great questions. Uh, A lot of these questions that we've gone over, but it really goes in depth into, uh, uh, you know, great solutions and just practical tips for, for the average person. So uh, I definitely recommend everybody check out Dr. Rawls Some great information. Um, Dr. Rawls, I want to thank you so much for for being on the show. It was an absolute blast. This was an amazing education. This was like a master class, really. (laughs) Uh, And I, 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 I absolutely enjoyed it. And, um, I definitely would love to have you back at some point. We can talk more health, nutrition, or any, any other, you know, uh, books and projects that you got going on. We would definitely love to have you back. That sounds awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone. I want to thank everyone for being on the show, for listening to the show and, Make sure that you guys always not only take care of yourselves and each other, but as I always say, control your health. Have a great day, everyone.